So I didn't introduce myself earlier, but I'm Craig Schultz. I'm the campus pastor here, if you need to know that. Um, that's um, good to, to have you here and understand who we are. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go through, but not very much. But we're in a series of the I Am series of Jesus. And last week, Karen spoke to us. She said a great message about Jesus from John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. And that Jesus, Jesus was purposeful that he was present, and that he was plenty. And really the overriding thing of Karen's message last week was that Jesus is enough. I am the resurrection and the life. And that in that, he was enough for everything that we need. And perhaps as we think of the situation in the Ukraine, as if we think of how would we go, perhaps that's a great thought, that Jesus says, I am enough. Karen's not with us today because she's actually at Walker Flat with the people from the Young Adults Congregation. There's about 90 people at Walker Flat um, sharing in a camp down there. Um, we pray that they're having a great time. I'm sure they are. Uh, time together both of fellowship, um, of learning. They've got Melinda Cousins from Baptist Churches of South Australia, the head honcho. She hates it when I say that. Um, of Baptist Churches down there with them. So it's great that they are doing that too. But today we've got John chapter 10 and it's the Good Shepherd. And so let's start reading in John chapter 10 verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. But actually before we go any further we're going to stop because we've actually got to unpack a couple of things and make sure we understand what shepherd is because if you think about what managing sheep in Australia today that might be your experience I grew up on a sheep farm you know what most of what I learn on the sheep farm doesn't work in this passage it doesn't work so because actually today in Australia we do stock management we don't do shepherding we do stock management and comparing modern Western sheep management to Israeli shepherding is a bit like comparing my singing to Ben Moore's or the Sydney Philharmonic Orchestra, all our music, allegedly. Or it's a bit like comparing your latest Facebook post to Pride and Prejudice, both our literature, allegedly. But we know it's not quite the same. But actual fact, in, in our society, our practice today, we have stock men and stock women. We don't have shepherds. So let's just take a little bit about what that looks like today and what it looked like in Israeli yesteryear. And I'm just going to focus on a couple of these things. In fact, I'm going to focus on the last two, which actually says that, that today, when we think about looking at a flock of sheep, they all look the same. I grew up on a sheep farm. You know what? They all look the same to me in a flock. Yes, if they're different breeds, I can pick them. And if one's got a gammy leg, I can pick it. But mostly they just look the same, okay? Even farmers, you know, who have, you know, they have thousands of sheep. They do not know them. But an Israeli yesteryear, an Israeli shepherd knew each sheep. Actually knew each sheep. And lastly, the last point there is around actually how we manage stock, how we herd them. And today, if you're running a sheep farm, we chase sheep. We chase them. We chase them with motorbikes. We chase them with vehicles. We chase them with dogs. We shout at them. We shout at them. We say, get in there. Occasionally we swear. Because they do stupid things sometimes, sheep. But in Jesus' day, sheep were led. Sheep were led. 
a very gentle voice. I tried to give you my gentle voice outside to get you in here. It was very ineffective. Please try harder. Because <laughs> I actually don't want to get my sheepdog voice out, which I'm actually very good at. I'm good at sheepdog voice. I need to be better at gentle voice, but you need to help me by being a little more responsive to my gentle voice. That will encourage that behaviour, okay? So if you can help me in that way, that would be wonderful. But just comparing these things actually shows that we need to understand context when we come to read the Bible. In actual fact, like I said, thinking about how we manage sheep today, this passage that we're about to read doesn't work. But there's one other piece of context that we should think about too, and that is when we come to this passage in John chapter 10 where Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, who was he talking to and what was the context that he was talking about? So if we actually paint the picture of what's actually happened just before Jesus says these words, firstly we note that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the people who actually knew and understood God's word and understood it well. But they were very upset. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were very upset because Jesus had healed a man born blind. Hardly seems like something to get upset about, but they couldn't work that out. But just because they like quibbling about things, it was actually that he healed him on the Sabbath. And they were very upset that Jesus had done the work of healing on the Sabbath. And so they were very upset that Jesus had healed on the day of rest. So this is what they're thinking. But what would they be thinking of, the religious leaders be thinking of, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd? Well, the chances are they would have harked back to Psalm um, chapter 23. Psalm 23, I think many of us are familiar with. But I want to tell you what I thought of Psalm 23 when I was a small boy. Like when I was about six or seven... And people read the, the, you know, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, A, I thought that was really bad grammar. And it should be shuffled around. I shall not want the Lord my shepherd. And I thought, what's with that? I, shall not. I thought we were supposed to like this guy. And now you say, I shall not want him. So I was a bit confused. Then the second piece. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now... I don't know about you, but the last thing I wanted to do as a six-year-old boy was actually to lie down in a paddock, okay? If it was a football over, even worse, it was for something else. But I did not want to, you know, he makes me lie down. You know, that sounded awfully like my mother, who would want me to take an afternoon nap. And I used to hate that. In fact, I never understood why mum's tired and I have to go to bed. Dad's cold and I have to wear a jumper. Do you understand that? I've never understood that as a parent. I tried very hard to avoid it as a parent myself because I remember what it was like. Mum's tired and I have to go to bed. Terrible. He leaves me beside still waters. And I was thinking, that just sounds boring. Still waters, sleepy. I like waves. And I like waterfalls. So by then, really, 23rd Psalm, I was lost. But I'm assuming that all of you actually know the 23rd Psalm better than that and actually understand that Jesus is the good shepherd and that's what he's speaking about there. But the hearers of that time also would have harked back to Ezekiel 34 because in Ezekiel 34, the Lord God, speaking again to the leaders of Israel, 
speaks about shepherds and, and what it's like to be a bad shepherd and a good shepherd. So in Ezekiel 34, he, Ezekiel actually gives a long prophecy about the leaders of Israel as shepherds. And he actually has a real crack at them. He doesn't hold back at all. If we start at verse 2, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, sheep milk. You clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed those who are ill or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So Jesus, I'm sorry, God really rips into the religious leaders at this point in time before actually saying, this is what a shepherd should be like. This is what I am like. And in verse 11, he says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself, this is the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, will search for my sheep and will look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on, the cloud of, on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out for the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. Hear the echoes of Psalm 23? And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So this is a backdrop to our John chapter 10 passage, I am the good shepherd. Jesus has healed a man born blind. The Pharisees are upset. Jesus has a real crack at them. You're going to see this as we read it. Jesus has a real crack at them about, being shep about shepherds and then speaks about being the good shepherd with all of the backdrop of Psalm 23 and Ezekiel 34 in play. So let's read John chapter 10. John chapter 10, starting at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. 
So let's take a look at three main characteristics of the Good Shepherd. What is Jesus putting out there? Firstly, we're going to look at the character of the Good Shepherd. We're going to look at the relationship of the Good Shepherd with the sheep. And then as application, we're going to look at the example of the Good Shepherd. So Jesus puts himself out there as the Good Shepherd. Good as in Ezekiel 34 good and Psalm 23 good. Virtuous, fair, admirable, just. The shepherd who cares for the flock and strengthens the weak, who heals those who are ill or injured, who brings back the strays and searches for the lost, who leads gently and with justice. We can trust him. He's a good shepherd. He's not like a hired hand. He's not like a hired hand. He's fully invested. The hired hand runs away when the wolf comes. When trouble comes, hired hand runs away. Jesus laid down his life and he laid it down of his own accord. No one took it from him. Not the thief or robber that he speaks about. Not Satan. Not the religious leaders of the day. Or the Roman government. When Jesus died, he laid down his life. And that's the good shepherd attitude and character to lay down life to lay down a life jesus laid down his rights and his life in obedience to god the father philippians 2 8 says that jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross secondly we look at the relationship that jesus has the good shepherd has with the sheep verse 14 i'm the good shepherd I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And verse 16, and they too will listen to my voice and there'll be one shepherd and one flock. There's more later in the chapter as well when Jesus actually says, it's actually a different conversation but with the same people, same group of people. You know how sometimes it takes more than one time to get a message through? Sounds like this conversation with the Pharisees was a bit of an ongoing thing. And Jesus uses this analogy more than once with the Pharisees to explain his role, who he is. And in verse 27, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And here's the why. So in this conversation, he actually goes a little bit further and says, in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. The relationship of the shepherd and the sheep is close. It's very close. The sheep follow the shepherd. Why? Because the shepherd is good. He's fair. He's virtuous. He's admirable. He's just. He's worthy. The relationship is actually one of being drawn to the shepherd. It's not one of being herded towards the shepherd. The shepherd draws people by his voice. We're not herded or yelled at. The more we get to know him, the more we're drawn to him. And we learn about his character. And we learn to trust him. So how do we get to know him? How do we hear his voice? There's often a lot spoken about in this area. It's a rich theme. I'm only going to cover a few things. It's a great topic to talk about after the service with people. Um, to share in life groups and talk through and belt this through, but in, in beat this through in a bit more depth. But I'm going to talk to a couple of things here today. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you anything new. If you've hung around this place for a while, you'll have heard all of this stuff before. I might have one small twist. 
It's not new, okay? It's just saying it in a slightly different way. But how do we actually get to get to hear his voice? So firstly, I would say absorb the Bible. Now, this is the slight twist, because sometimes, probably historically, you've heard read. Something really interesting about today's younger generation, I hear this quite often. They say, I don't read. I don't read. They actually listen or watch. Um, there is something about reading that helps us absorb, and I think it's great. But listening is okay as well. But what I really want to say about Absorb the Bible is you can read the whole Bible and not really take very much on at all. Absorbing the Bible says, as you read, listen. What is God saying to us? What is Jesus saying to us? Our vision statement here, if you know the middle statement, it says lives transformed. So absorbing the Bible, if you're, if you're absorbing the Bible, it should actually be transforming your life, our lives, as we read it. What does that look like, absorbing the Bible? There's a few things I would say. One is, read slabs and understand the big picture. Understand the big picture. Don't always sit there, just try and go verse by verse. Read slabs at a time and understand what God's saying across a whole book. So try and read a book in a sitting. And absorb just at that level. What stands out at you? What's Jesus saying in that? Read the whole Bible. Understand the big picture, the whole story of the Bible. But also go deep. Go deep. Meditate. Meditate means think about something over and over. Let it sink in. I would say memorize. Memorize is a great aid. Memorization is a great aid to meditation. Because it actually means you don't have to have your Bible with you and it can still bless you. It can still bless you. So memorize. So in Nehemiah it says, You alone are the Lord. The, angels, no, the multitudes of heaven worship you. No, sorry, let me do this again. You alone are the Lord. You give life to everything and the multitude of heavens worship you. And since I got that in a life group about 10 years ago, that has fed my soul so often another one humble look very simple this is a bible verse humble yourself before the lord and he will lift you up i think i thought about that on every bike ride i did for about six months um, and it blessed me enormously and i'd think about as i thought about humble yourself before the lord and he will lift you up i thought how does that apply in my marriage how do i humble myself before the lord in my marriage how do i humble myself before the lord with my children how do i humble myself before the lord in my service within the church how do i humble myself before the lord in the workplace how do i take that position and allow god to lift me up so i'd say absorb the bible pray so praying is not just about speaking so if you want to hear his voice and get to know him better we need to listen and speak my sheep hear my voice so let's do that let's listen as well as speak ears and mouth ears and mouth not ears and mouth okay <laughs> and the third thing i'd say is meet with fellow believers something that's really helpful for me is meeting with um, help with fellow believers God speaks in our midst I know that um, I'm not always perfect 
in what I went in hearing from God. When I think God said something, I find it a great comfort that I can share that with other people and say, I think God's saying this, what do you reckon? I think as leaders in the church, I find it a great comfort that the elders meet together and we say, what's God saying in the middle of us? Not just what's God saying to Nigel or Claire or Craig. What's God saying in the middle of us? Because Jesus said where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. And I think that's a great strength actually in our church that we live that way. And so I really encourage people to do that. And just in terms of listening to the voice of God, I'll say something that's been really working well for me more recently is actually, I mean, I've done this for a long time, but writing down when God says something, when something resonates, just writing it down. Now, I'm not a journaler. Some people journal, they journal every day, they journal everything they think God might be saying. I don't do that. I reckon somewhere between once a week and once every two months, I write something down that says, like, this really resonates with me. Sometimes it might be two in a week, but it really varies. But I write stuff down when I feel like, you know what, that really resonates. And so I just really encourage you, if God says something to you, be it in a sermon, be it in your quiet times, be it just while you're out doing stuff, just take a point and write it down. One of the reasons I found this helpful is when, then when the big situations come up, the big decisions... It's not just saying, what's God saying to me right now? Because we can actually be pretty weak in those moments or we can actually think we already know what God has got to say. But let's go back outside of that situation and say, what was God saying beforehand? So for me, one of the practical applications when I took on this role as campus pastor here, I didn't actually say, what's God saying to me right now? I actually went and said, what's God been saying to me over the last six months or year? before I actually knew this was coming up. And then when I look back at those things that have been saying, oh, there was a number of things that just kind of said, you know what, I reckon you're supposed to take this on. One of those things I think I've shared here before, Claire actually said in a, in a prayer meeting, she said, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And you know how sometimes somebody says something, you just think, oh, that just resonates so strongly. I better take note of what God's saying there. It's one of those things. Like I said, rich fodder for conversation later. There's one more passage I want to mention before we actually look at what this means for us. And it's Jesus talking about sheep again. But in this case, this is in, the back, in John 21, when Jesus is restoring Peter. Now the story here is that Peter had denied Jesus three times. Peter had said, I will lay down my life for you. I'll do anything for you. And Jesus said, uh-uh, no you won't. You're going to deny me three times. But they meet after Jesus has risen from the dead. And they have this conversation. And many of you will be very familiar with the conversation where Jesus says three times, Simon, son of John, Peter's other name was Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And three times Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus' response over those three times is, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And then in verse 19 of that chapter, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. And why am I sharing this passage? It's actually because as Jesus is restored, he's not just restored to being a follower. He's restored to a position of leadership. 
So he's not just a follower of Jesus. Now he's being restored to a position of leadership. And he goes on to be a mighty leader. And I think there's something for that in, for us. Because you know what? Leaders fail. Leaders fail. I'm going to share an example soon that is actually quite difficult for me to share. And I didn't get through it very well this morning. And I might not this time either, sounds like. But what does this mean for us? This means that as followers, we're to follow Christ. We're to be imitators of Christ, to follow his example and to follow his commands. So firstly, what does that mean? To follow his example is to mean we're to be of good character. We're to be of good character. Character is about reliability, resilience, steadfastness, uprightness, consistency, being consistently good, not just good here or there, not just fair or worthy or admirable here or there, but consistently, that's character. Sometimes it is the ability to acknowledge when we've failed as well. That's character. But like Jesus is the good shepherd, we too are to be good. We're to be of good character. Secondly, we're to follow his example of leadership. Displaying that good leadership attitude and good leadership, a good shepherd, sorry, good shepherd attitude and good shepherd relationships. Putting others before ourselves. Laying down our lives and our rights. Look, we sing stuff here all the time. There's hyperbolic statements that sometimes I wonder whether we really should sing this stuff or if we really think about what we're saying. Because we probably say, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. I don't know how many times. And how many times have we perhaps not laid down our life? I mean, Lord, I'll do anything for you, but please don't ask me to go and talk to that person because they're actually a bit difficult. Or please don't ask me to go and ask forgiveness of that person or try and get that relationship right because it's actually pretty awkward and painful. But I'll lay down my life for you. You If you ask me to die, that's fine. But please don't ask me to do the dishes that need doing out there. Or please don't ask me to serve coffee. Or please don't ask me to wear a mask, might I even add. You know, like When it comes to laying down our life and doing some of these things, I mean, it's just chalk and cheese, isn't it? But it's funny how often we do strain at these small things. But if that's you, and it is me, if, you, if you're one of these people who over-promises to God and under-delivers, don't worry, you're in good company. And I've just shared an example of Peter who overpromised and underdelivered, and I think we do the same. So we can keep singing those songs, okay? We can keep singing those songs so long as when we fail, we're willing. But I do think it's really important when you think of leadership, you know what? Leaders fail. Leaders fail. And it doesn't disqualify us. I have failed. Nigel's failed. Dave Shepherd has failed. Nick Van Ruth has failed. Tracy has failed. We can pick everybody. We've all failed. It actually doesn't disqualify us from being leaders, and I think that's really important to get. Thirdly, I just want to share, um, we are to be shepherds who care for the flock, who strengthen the weak and heal those who are ill or injured, who lead gently. And this was my failure point. I want to share this because it's something that happened this week. I had to have a couple of conversations that weren't easy. There was nothing wrong with the conversation itself, but how I went about it wasn't gentle. It just flat out wasn't gentle. And so I had to go back the next day and say, look, I'm sorry. 
that just wasn't my best work. I am really sorry. You know, that the way I spoke to you was not the way that is a good representative of what I stand for, what our church stands for. We need to, you know, can I have another crack at that? The great news is, is that one of those persons just forgave me on the spot and said, sure, I understand that wasn't an easy conversation for you. Yes, it might have been done better, but no harm done. And I'm catching up with the other ones this week. And that will be okay. I understand it will be. Like, I know it will be okay. But it does require that sometimes uh, to say, you know, the leadership, that we will fail. Hopefully that doesn't disqualify me. Otherwise, I don't know who's preaching in two weeks' time. Okay? Um, three weeks' time. But um, there we go. But thirdly, we're to follow his commands. And like Peter, his most simple command is follow me. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Everyone's a leader. We're all leaders. you just got to decide what kind of leader you're going to be. Whether you're up the front here doing stuff where we fail very publicly or whether you're just talking to people, you will lead with your attitude. Your attitude will impact people around you. And so have a think about what does your attitude do? What does your leadership do? Well, every one of us is a leader. What does your attitude do? How does it impact those around us? I'd say choose joyful, positive, constructive, really good attitudes to have. Sacrificial, laying down our lives, really good attitude to have. I've always felt that the best leaders are also good followers. That they're actually willing to lead by example, to model the behaviour they expect of others, to be considerate of others, to be accountable, to listen, and especially to listen to those who have expertise or skills in areas that are not their own strengths. I think good leaders draw out the best in others. They bring their best and they draw out the best in others. Both of those things. Jesus' command to Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Lead, like me. Shepherd, like me. Follow me. Before we finish, I just want to give a quick plug for something we're doing here at the church around leadership development. And at the start of the year, late last year, we um, came up with six priorities that we are going to be focused on this year. Up on the screen here. Just want to highlight two things. One is intimacy with God is right in the middle there and that everything flows out of intimacy with God. But if you look at the bottom one there, leadership development, we're actually running um, some training here every fourth Thursday on leadership development for leadership in the church. What does it look like to be a leader in the church? There's some great stuff that's out there in the secular world. What's good from the secular world, we're going to bring in here too. There's some great stuff, fantastic stuff in the Bible about leadership, and that's part of what we're doing today, and that too will be shared. So fourth Thursday of every month, if you want to get along to that, um, that's something there. But just in closing, and Ben and the band, you can come up here. Let's just summarise what we've heard today. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, that he's good, that he's fair, that he's virtuous, that he's admirable, he's worthy. Jesus gave us an example of how to lead well, how to lead others well, to lay down his life. 
but also how to follow well, to be obedient to God the Father. And that we too are to lead well and follow well. Jesus showed us that leaders are flawed, but also restored. And good leaders are flawed and restored, and they make a practice of being restored with God and with their fellow person. If you haven't yet committed to following Jesus, perhaps today is the day when you respond to the Good Shepherd, when you respond to his voice. He's calling for you to come closer, to know him, and to know him better, and to receive his love. If you've committed to Jesus recently or a long time ago, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is calling you to come closer, to know him better, to know his love. Do you see how this call is the same? The call is the same. It's for all of us to come to know Jesus, the Good Shepherd, better. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're with us. And as we think of you as the Good Shepherd, there's something in it for us. We pray that as we go this week, that you'll help us to reflect, to absorb deeply what you are saying to us, to listen well, to hear your voice, to follow that voice. And where we're asked to lead, we ask that you would help us. Where we need to ask your forgiveness that we might be restored, we pray that you'll bring that restoration. Bring us to the place of repentance and restoration. We pray you'd release us to be great leaders and that we would impact those around us in church and outside of church really positively. That we'd be known as people of good character. We pray we'd do this not that we would receive glory or benefit, but that you would receive the glory. That people would see our good works, our good deeds, and give glory to God in heaven. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.